Welcome to A Dreamer's Journey, the podcast that inspires through stories. Your inspiration and motivation to go after your dreams begins with a spark of hope. And in this podcast, I strive to provide that spark with my story and the stories of others who dream just like you. In this episode of The Dreamer's Journey, we take a look at the obstacles and challenges Mahmoud Mahmoud had to overcome in order to achieve the amount of success he's had in his life. We discuss his mindset and perspective when pursuing big dreams and learn some of the actions he takes in order to make it happen. Enjoy. For tuning in to the Dreamers podcast. Uh, today we have a special guest, my boy Mahmoud Mahmoud. I've known him since I was in college, 18 years old, and this guy's resume is super impressive. So I'm just going to tell you some of the few things that he's done. This is not everything. <laughs> just mind you, this isn't everything. But he was director of multiple organizations in, provide, in providing aid and support to immigrants and refugees. He worked for the United Nations in Somalia, Kenya, and Egypt. He created the first all-purpose resource guide for youth and sponsored related programs, programs in the state of Arkansas. That's in collaboration with 800 different organizations. And he was executive member of the Keep a Child Alive Foundation, responsible in providing HIV treatment for people in India and Africa. He was also featured in a History Channel special called History Now, which dealt with the uh, Syrian refugee issue that we had years ago, and probably still now, uh, ran for the 8th Congressional District in New Jersey. Then he went into film. He was featured in over 40 TV and film productions as the lead role. And now he's currently working in two uh, film featured uh, productions and two theater productions. And that's just like the tip of the iceberg for my, my boy, Mahmoud, 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 Mahmoud. Please tell everybody how you find the motivation and energy to get all of this done. Um, honestly, sometimes I just feel like, you know, I, you know, just like anybody else feel like, you know, being on a production level, sometimes I don't feel like I'm doing enough, but you know, the things that I have done, it's, it's because it just comes from something that I've always wanted to do. Like these are, these are markers of, of things that I want to do in my life. Um, the experiences that I want to experience and, and, you know, things that I either had set out to do in my mind, or I just like let life happen and, and, you know, guide me into the next step. And, and sometimes, you know, we, as people, put in our mind that we're supposed to be somewhere and do something and at this specific time. But sometimes when you just let go, um, you know, and not always try to be in control, good things will happen. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, so I want people to know a little bit about your history first. So what part of Jersey did you grow up in? And then how did you get into politics? Cause you were in politics and you were, I remember when we were in college, um, you're very into a lot of social work and helping at the, with the budgeting and, and the student government at William Patterson University. So just tell a little bit about your background in New Jersey. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Parsippany, New Jersey, um, nice suburban neighborhood. Um, we were like a family that didn't even belong there. Um, you know, 
came from very humble beginnings and a humble background as immigrants to the U.S. at the age of four and um, started off with like not much money. Um, you know, my, my mother, she worked multiple jobs, jobs that you start off with in the U.S., um, you know, being a, in a hotel and, you know, working at a fast food restaurant. Uh, my dad doing the same thing, you know, because they didn't have uh, good language. And I think the thing that pushed me to get involved in social work and public service work was that, you know, the, the upbringing, the experiences of growing up with hardships. Um, but also, you know, one event that changed my life, which was when I was 10 years old, um, I went to Egypt with my mom for the first time since we came to the U.S. Um, and stayed there for two months. And I had actually been drinking faucet water um, in Egypt and faucet water is no bueno to be drinking out there. So when we came back, um, you know, uh, once the summer was over for me to start school, uh, like two, three days later, um, I just started feeling really terrible. And one day I was about to collapse, like I couldn't breathe, my lungs was completely gone. Um, and my health was very poor. Um, I was going to the bathroom and, you know, just you're urinating a completely different color. Um, and, you know, I just collapsed to the floor one day and my mom rushed, rushed me to the hospital um, in the ambulance. And they were operating on me and they were trying to figure out what was going on and they couldn't. And they went to my mom, they said, you know, if we don't find out what's going on with him in the next 48 hours, in, in the next, uh, yeah, 48 hours, he's not going to make it. Um, and then they, uh, you know, came to her with a time later and they're like, all right, we found out that he contracted hepatitis A, which hepatitis A is a waterborne uh, illness um, that you contract from drinking, you know, just unsanitary water, and which is what I did. Um, and that experience and being able to realize that I didn't have access to clean water or like not having access to clean water can completely almost kill you. Um, that's what set me off to go into a life of public service. And I thought the way to go about it was through politics and being able to come up with policies and recommendations that can change people's lives. Wow. Wow. So when you were in Parsippany, uh, Parsippany is a pretty wealthy suburban town. Am I not right? Am I mistaken? No, you're right. No. You're right. All right. So how did a family like yours, uh, which, you know, uh, I could say in immigrants from Egypt and then with low paying jobs, they weren't high paying jobs. How did your family survive? And like what, I want what I want to know is what beliefs or what morals did your family kind of instill in you that allowed you to kind of survive in that environment where there's a lot of wealthy individuals and I'm sure high school was pretty difficult for you uh, in that sense with the demographic of Parsippany. So what beliefs and morals did your parents instill and what do you still use today and what did you take from them? I think they, they put that you know, hard work was more than anything else. So my parents willing to work whatever jobs, you know, leaving their jobs that they had in Egypt. My mom was a teacher. My dad, um, you know, had a really nice job too. Um, and leaving that to work just shitty jobs and really shitty hours. Um, and, and my dad would work from seven in the morning until sometimes two at night. 
and he would do, do that seven days a week. So I never really saw him um, at all. And my sister, you know, she was almost responsible for raising me because my mom was also out too. Um, so just seeing how much they busted their butts and how much they said that education is important, even though like they couldn't tutor me or help me or provide extra ex education because they didn't even know the language themselves. Um, that is what instilled a, a lot in me to, you know, whatever you do, you don't think that any job is beneath you. You don't think that you're better than anybody. Um, you know, you put in work and then, you know, good things will happen. So like, that's how I just started this work ethic that I'm just nonstop because I seen it, you know, from my dad. So the, the energy and the motivation that allowed you to do all these things, you got it from your parents. So yeah. I think that's pretty amazing. I think right now we can look into society and we say that that's a pretty uncommon trait that is not amongst the millennials anymore at least um so it's pretty impressive to to see that to see someone with that work ethic um so you went into politics and uh you had a pretty interesting run in politics uh i'm assuming that it's not over i'm thinking that you're going in a different direction now tell a little bit tell the audience a little bit about that what happened in politics, which direction are you planning to go, and if you're gonna ever go back? Yeah, I mean, it's never over till the fat lady sins, right? Um, and I haven't heard no fat lady sins. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, no, it's not over um, for good. It's, I ran twice, once for Congress, second time for state assembly, lost both times. Um, you know, there, there's many different routes of how you go get into politics, right? Like you could, be a businessman your whole life and never run for a political office and then boom at the age of 75 you become the president um, or you could become a governor or, or you could become a bodybuilder then an actor um, and, and one of the top actors uh, in the world like Arnold Schwarzenegger and then become the governor or you could be an actor uh, and then run for president like Ronald Reagan right so there, there's there's so many different routes to it to me, I just stopped loving politics because it's, you know, when you're running yourself and seeing these campaigns, you understand that it's all about money. Um, and it's, and your message gets drowned out or doesn't even get heard if you don't have enough money for advertisements to be able to um, communicate your message to massive amounts of people. And then at the end of the day, even if you do, and you put in all that money, a lot of people are complacent and still won't get out to the polls. Um, and to me, just the love wasn't there. Um, it's almost like losing love with somebody. And I don't think necessarily, you know, I'm done with politics per se, but you can still institutionalize change, which is what, you know, I, I truly is at the core of who I am as a being without necessarily being the elected official. You know, there's activists that do amazing work. There's, um, you know, community leaders that do amazing work. There's people who are, you know, the loudest people in their buildings um, and they know how to do amazing work. I always had thought, you know, incorrectly when I was younger that, you know, the only way to really make change was through politics. But if you look at change makers like Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, you know, um, refusing to s give up your seat on a bus. That's a way you can create change. So 
um, I, that's what it is. I, I don't, I don't think I'm giving up. Um, I just don't think it's where I want to be right now. And, 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 and through so many different trial and errors in my life, like, I just know that, you know, uh, performance and entertaining is where I'm happy at. It's something that I've always been doing as a, as a, you know, young person and growing up, I've always acted, you know, wild and silly and rambunctious. And I'm like, this makes sense. This is, you know, where I'm happy. And I really had different jobs, which I realized like, I'm just not completely happy not doing performance and acting related work. So because you went into politics, uh, you lost twice. Uh, how did you deal with the failure? How did you deal with the failure and how did you keep the dream of a dream alive with pushing your message and hearing the message and making, allowing the message that you want people to hear be heard. And what's the plan for that now? Yeah. I mean, the day as I received the results for my first run, that was one of the most hardest days in the world that, that day and the day after, uh, if anybody ever runs for office and they lose, uh, one of the hardest days in your life is going to be the day after. If I create a book, it's going to be called the day after. Um, because you just feel like you're an embarrassment. All your soul, your energy. I really put my soul, my energy, my everything into that congressional run. Um, and it was just one of the hardest experiences of my life. And then in the end to just like lose, I felt humiliated. And I think it was like the public perception of what people think about me and what's next. And now what am I going to do? And I knew I was asking myself, now what, what, what's my next move? I had no idea. Um, and I think the way you deal with that is you give it some time, you sit with yourself and you do some evaluation. Um, and you figure out, you know, what did I do good? What did I not do well? But overall, what is my purpose? And if you can understand what your purpose is, no failure will defeat you because you're just gonna keep on going and just like brush it off um, and keep moving. And ultimately that's just the way I look at life is just like life is a series of defeats, um, but who cares if you get defeated? you could just get back up and keep going, right? Like, unless you're dead, there should be no reason why you just stop going after what you really want. Um, and if you do, and if you do it with purpose and passion and, and honest conviction and, and smartness about how you do it, uh, learning each time, then of course you're gonna get better, right? And, and that loss helped me mobilize. I picked up all the people that helped on that campaign and all the lessons learned and it helped me run a second time and I ran a stronger campaign. The numbers showed it, um, you know, more recognition and, and, and just more people started resonating with the message and how I do that now, I think, you know, when, when you were ending with my biography now where it currently stands is I'm putting all my effort and energy uh, into acting because, you know, the reason why I do acting is I portray roles roles that mean something to me. I don't, I don't do things that don't mean anything to me. I wouldn't ever take a role that I couldn't, that wasn't really relaying a 
message, a deep message to me in, in what is this actually saying? How is this changing and bettering society? And I think ultimately at the end of the day, I'm trying to better society. I'm trying, I want to be able to make change in the world and, and, and make this place a little bit better. Awesome. So right now you're, you're, you're currently working in four productions, two film productions, two theater productions. Um, we were talking before earlier before the, this podcast and you told me that you're going to have to play a white man, which if you look at your skin color and your complexion and your features, you don't look like a white man. So this is very unique to me because it just shows how someone can manipulate the mind to be able to get into a role to play a certain part, right? And we can do that in our lives too. So I want to know the methods that you use as an actor to be able to get into that specific role as like a white man from the South and really allow your passion and soul to go into that piece so that you're able to execute the, the, the role and the film comes out great. I mean, that's a combination of a, a bunch of different things before you get into the role. You got to do your research, right? Um, this one is specifically from uh, North Carolina in a mountainous region in North Carolina. Um, so what I did was, you know, I did my research on, on the internet typing North Carolina accents um, and dialects. And then I just watched YouTube videos of how they talk. And I just, when I listen to something, like I just immerse myself and I become it. Like I can, I imitate and I could do imitations really easily and really well. And I think as a young kid, I was always just always mimicking and imitating things. And I just love that. I love the imitations. Um, and also I live like it, life experiences. Um, I lived in Arkansas and in Arkansas, that's as South as they come. So when you live in that type of environment, you're bound to be able to pick up gestures and movements and you listen to uh, the Southern twang and, that's how I did it. Okay. And when you're actually in the role, how do you get your mind to really be immersed in that character? The, the script and the writing is important and you got to really jive and vibe to it. And you got to believe like, Hey, I'm no longer me. I am this person. I, how would this person, eat? how would this person like live? you right. Like if it's, if it's a Southern accent, I'm going to start speaking with people in Southern accents, or I'm just going to spend a lot of my awake hours, you know, instead of talking like this, I'm going to talk in that Southern accent where it just becomes so routine where I walk on set. I've already done all of the preparation. What you're seeing on camera is just the final result, right? Like we don't, we just watch the final result of these NBA games, but we don't see the hours that people, that these guys are in the weight room, that they're on the track, that they're shooting their thousands of shots. We just see the final result. We're like, oh shit, like I want to be in the NBA. I could do that. That's easy. That's not easy for the amount of hours that they're putting in and, and work they're putting in on their body. Yeah, there's actually like, a book same, called same thing with same thing with um with actors, right? Like good actors are the ones who put in the work. Uh, you know, it's a lot of work um taking time to actually, you know have that craft understanding what the scene is studying it what's the motivation you know um you know what's your objective what are you trying to get out of the other person what what's your relationship with that other person um and you know how are you going to deliver your performance your sound your gestures your body movement 
um, your breathing, your intonation. And once you put in enough hours and, and the memorization, uh, you know, when you're showing up on, on set that day, you're just it's like, hey, I'm just, I'm just here because you guys asked me to. Like the work, it's already done. Like I'm just here because we have to film this. But I know I'm going to deliver a fantastic performance because I done did this like a thousand times. So it's pretty interesting that you say that because uh, there was a book called Outliers. I'm not, I can't remember the, Malcolm, right? Yeah, 10,000 yeah, 10, hours to become a master at something. So yeah, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get to my 10,000 hours quickly. Yeah. So it's, it's basically like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. They started at a very young age working with computers because they just were born at the right time where computers just came out and they spent you know, eight, nine, 10 hours a day, maybe 15 hours working on computers. So when you add all those hours up, you're getting that mastery. And that's why they were able to master themselves at such a young age. And we're seeing with the influx of technology, like you talked about YouTube, you talked about the education on the rise, audiobooks, all these different things that allow us to absorb information so much quicker. You're absolutely right. You can get to those 10,000 hours very quickly which for us is pretty interesting because as millennials, that means we can have multiple careers. Meaning we can, we can be working in, such as yourself, humanitarian work, and then all of a sudden decide to go into acting and be successful. Yeah. And that's pretty crazy to me because now you can achieve pretty, like multiple dreams. You yeah. can do multiple things in life. So my question to you is, how are you, how is your journey so far on, on this particular dream of becoming an actor? And what struggles are you currently facing? I think the number one struggle is questioning myself and self-doubt in saying, ah, why did you get, this is the number one question is, why did you get started so late? And are you too late because you're so far behind everybody else? And just taking a look at like, the stories of all these other actors, like I'm, I'm taking a look at like the Al Pacino's, the De Niro's, the Marlon Brando's, the Leonardo DiCaprio's and taking a look and they're like, I'm like, damn, they started when they were like nine, 10, 11, 12. Here I am, I started, I started in 2016, tech 2014. And I didn't even go super hard in those early years. So why did you, why like you're far behind it's going to be tough to make it like searching like older actors and you know can they make it and all that and i think that's the biggest struggle for me um and then your first question was how, how are you enjoying the journey so far um i think I, I i just love being able to play these different characters tell these different stories like experience like i learned something new about north carolina and like they're the only this this one town in north carolina is the only place that doesn't have english as its first it doesn't even sound like it's english it's crazy that, that sound yeah they like uh, they migrated from the 1700s and they still kept that language and that culture and all that was so you get to experience that right and 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 acting infuses my other love which is traveling um, and learning new ex and getting ex getting to experience new things. Um, so I think that's what it is for me. It's being able to just like I enjoy every every part of it because you get to step outside of reality and live in somebody else's shoes. You get to be empathetic. You get to you have to listen really well. And and all of those skills that you need 
and all of those, you know, things that I'm doing, I enjoy it on a regular basis. So um, at Vita Project, we, we talk about being impeccable with your word. And you were just talking about how you doubt yourself, right? So this negative language that kind of tries to seep in and take you away from your dream. How do you combat that negative language? I've been talking nicely to myself, like lately, like, I, like never before. I'm like, yo, Mahmoud, you're killing it, dude. Like, you're, you're, you're doing it, man. Be proud of yourself. The shit that, the work that you're putting in, you're doing it, man. Like, today was an awesome day. You killed it. You crushed it. Fantastic work. Look where you are right now. It's good. Look at all these good things that you have. See all these good things around you. Don't doubt yourself. Like, just talking so nicely to yourself is such a good thing. And then whenever I hear those negative thoughts, I just squash it. I squash it. And, you know, being, you know, I, I, I talk to God a lot. Like I have conversations with God. I'm like, God, what am I supposed to do right now? And I just wait for an answer. And, you know, just, just having that relationship and, Hey, I don't know the right answer. Can you, can you send me a sign? Can you send me a signal? Can you help guide me in which direction should I take? Um, I think that's what helps. Um, so do you have a morning routine that gets your mind in place and starts like gives you structure to your day? Because as an actor, I mean, your job and your work is based on what you land in auditions, right? So it's not as consistent as having a nine to five job. So what does your day look like? Is there a morning routine that gets you, gets your mindset in and focused and locked into that role? Yeah. I mean, you're spot on. I think that's why a lot of actors have a lot of, you know, they deal with a lot of anxiety because nothing is consistent. You never know when that next role is going to come. You're dealing with rejection all the time. You walk into these audition rooms and you hear no 95% more than you hear yes. Like if you hear one yes and, and 10,000 no's, that's just the norm. Um, you know, um, and you just never know when that next job is going to come. And your job is not actually playing in the movies. Your job is actually auditioning. Um, and getting turned down and the winners are the ones who are able to you know all right so they didn't want me but I just let it go that's it and you can't question how how well you did in the performance in that room and you can't get stuck on that oh no they don't like me because this and that um, my morning routine I start by getting out of the bed in the morning and making my bed uh, folding my bed I, I, I watched this YouTube video by this uh, Navy commander He's like, first thing you should do is make your bed in the morning because when you make your bed, it gets your brain functioning in starting. Um, you already got one task off your list. And at least when you come home at night, you're going to come home to a clean bed. Um, so rushing straight out of bed, I, I try not to get anywhere near my phone because that, that can eat up time and that can start like putting anxiety as soon as I wake up, as soon as I hear the alarm. I, I get out of bed. I don't hit the snooze. And then the first thing that I do, this is actually very helpful, is I drink a bottle of water because when you're sleeping, you lose a lot of oxygen. So when you drink that water early in the morning, you're regaining all of that oxygen into your body and you're starting to come more awake. Um, and then, you know, I wash my face and all that and I brush my teeth with my left hand because that actually, because I'm right handed. So that actually uh, gets the other part of your brain working. 
Um, I do uh, prayers uh, and then meditation. I meditate for about uh, 15 minutes and then I read. Um, I read uh, acting related things and then I start my day. Okay. So everything you do is basically self-care. How much, how much time would you say take, that takes in order to get through that routine? An hour, an hour and a half. Yeah, it makes about sense. I have a very similar routine as well. Um, so I, I know a lot of the stuff that we, we follow. We took it from Jim Quick. You know, yeah. the left hand in, brushing the teeth with the left hand, right? Reading first thing in the morning, the bottle of water. It's very important. And then actually, I just wanted to expand on that, that comment you said about the phone. The one thing that I don't do is go on my phone because uh, when you wake up, you actually wake up in a state called theta, which is in between REM sleep and meditation. So it's almost like what happens when you meditate and you get into that very calm, relaxed phase of meditation, that's the theta state in your brain, right? So the waves are actually very slow. And what that does, because you slow your brain down, it, you can use that opportunity to grab more information, important information. So if you wake up and you're in that theta state and the first thing you do is go onto your phone and you start looking at emails and text messages that create anxiety and make this world, that you, your world, chaos, then what you're doing is you're taking your brain out of theta state and putting it straight into beta and then you're creating that anxiety. So there's a video that I saw from a girl on YouTube, I don't remember her name, but she had said that when you wake up in that theta state, the best thing to do is actually practice gratitude because that will start to release the dopamine and the serotonin and make the right neural connections for you to be able to be grateful and happy in your life. So starting your day happy, I think is an amazing thing. So I think meditation and, and I got, I got, I got to do that. I'm, I'm, I haven't perfected getting away from like the Instagram and the, uh, the social media in the morning. I think, you know, yeah, it's very, it's, it's very easy to get sucked into it because it's so addicting, right? Like it, it releases the same chemicals that, you know, uh, meditation would as well if you were practicing, if you were being grateful, right? The only problem is, is that the, the content, the intent of the information coming out of social media may not be good for you, right? So if you're seeing things that are not in, directly correlated to your goals, directly correlated to the things that you dream about, then the action, the actionable steps that you're going to take throughout the day are not going to be directed towards that thing. So for me, my morning routine looks like I wake up, I make my bed, brush my teeth with my left hand, wash my face, all that good stuff. And then I go write down what I'm grateful for. I write five things that I'm grateful for. Then I go and I write down, I rewrite all my goals. Every single morning, I rewrite all my goals, all eight of them. Then I, I put down how I would feel when I reach those goals, what are the obstacles that are going to get in the way of those goals, and what's the plan? What are, what then, are those goals? Oh, man, no, that's the secret, bro. Can't, can't be there. But some of them... Well, goals. When you tell the world your goals, it'll come to you. That's the universe. Actually, 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 there's science behind that. If you do tell your goals, it makes your brain believe that you've already achieved them. Uh, right? So these are two things. I'm going to send you the video, too. So... Actually, it, it's, there is some truth to it. Where You've probably done it before where you said, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this, and then you never did it. It's because your brain already imagined and created the fantasy of you achieving the goal. 
And then what happens is you never go for it because your brain really already released the dopamine of achieving the goal. So this is why understanding the emotions that you would feel when you reach that goal and then creating the obstacles. Because just like a movie, we need a storyline. Our brain needs a storyline. Our brain needs frustration and obstacles to make it feel like it's worth it. So that's why I write the goals down. I write my emotions. I write the obstacles. And then I write the plan for those obstacles. So obstacles for me tend to be like lack of discipline, right? Or too much time on social media or lack of sleep. Things that, that are within, right? And then I create a plan for that. And what that does is build awareness. So when I see myself falling off, I'm like, all right, I got to go to my plan, right? Um, so now, um, I want you to show this piece to everybody else, the one that you're working on, the white boy with the accent from North Carolina. I think it's actually pretty good. And then right after you're done, because you're going to get into character, right? Uh, yeah. I want to know what, how you put yourself into character, what your mind went through right before. So like, this is a technique that maybe we can use and people can use to be able to get into character for their day, right? So go ahead, whenever you're ready. Um, so I'm uh, pulling up uh, some of the language so I can remember what it was. But what I, what I do to uh, allow me to get into this space is I, I first take a look at the script and I'm like, okay, does this resonate with me in any way? Um, and you can see me on camera still, right? Yep, see you. And you know, what is, what, is, what is written on paper, but what is not written on paper? Um, and what are my choices? And I think of the choices, and I think one of the main questions to ask is where is the love in this scene? And I always try to find love in having that relationship with the other person. And I let that guide me. Uh, so this one is, I told you once, LRA, I told you a hundred times, I can't pierce you without a parent signing the paperwork. Your daddy will skin me alive. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a conversation with somebody. He's like, holy shit, do my eyes deceive me? Do the Dumont sisters just stroll into my shop? Well, damn. To what do I owe the pleasure? You looking for a piercing? If you let me pick the spot, it's on the house. So, you know, that's... <laughs> that's pretty good, man. That's what it is. So it's, it's just... It's being present in the moment. Um, it's also having a bit of skill to have that, you know, to be able to do uh, that voice and, and, and the, that dialect. Uh, so you got to do the studying. But it's also being willing to be vulnerable, um, being willing to look like a damn fool, being willing to have critics say that just wasn't good enough. That that accent wasn't good. It wasn't realistic. Your face wasn't good. You don't look like you're you're genuine and honest. Um, you're gonna get critiqued a lot, um, and you gotta be. Oh my God! Oh, those people said this, or they said it's not good enough. And you deal with that a lot. And I, you get critiqued a lot. And I, and I think a lot of people aren't able to handle that. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people quit this business. 
um, because of the critiques and the criticism. I mean, you got movie critics, right? Like they get paid millions of dollars to fucking critique other people. <laughs> I tell you that you suck. <laughs> right, and you got people like with movie, oh, these movie reviews, like things getting reviewed and that Jim Carrey, uh, Siskel and, uh, or Ebert and Roper for Jim Carrey's first movie said that was such an awful movie and an awful performance. Um, this guy has absolutely no career in this business. And he became fucking Jim Carrey, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, and he wouldn't have, he read that, he read that article and, 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 and that stuck with him for a long time, but he didn't quit, right? And it's, if I did, honestly, I think one of the good things for me starting later in life, but now that I have all this time to like go inside, is that if I did acting when I was younger, I probably would have quit too, because I wouldn't have been able to handle the career. Like, who the fuck is this person saying that I'm not good enough? <laughs> right? yeah, like, I feel like, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think the politics actually prepared you for this, for this line of work, because in politics, you're getting rejected too, and you're getting rejected not for a performance, but for literally who the fuck you are. <laughs> That's pretty fucking crazy. Like, who you are as a person. Like, the, some of the stories you told me about people coming at you because of your ethnicity, right? Your language, your religion, right? Your beliefs, like, who you are as a person. To take that kind of rejection and that kind of beating yeah. and lose. And then say to yourself, you know what? Let me do it again. Let me do it again. Yeah. That takes that takes some that takes some balls, man. That yeah. you know that takes that takes a lot of courage and a lot of understanding and self belief, which I think is something valuable that people can learn from, is yeah. not giving up. Because yeah. I think when you do that, you can really go for what you dream. And I'm I want the question right now. You chasing your dream. This is the, the million dollar question. Are you happy? Yes, like never before right now. Uh, Super happy because I mean, this experience too has allowed me to get closer to to myself, my spiritualness, God, my religion. Um, And I think that's what, you know, happiness is not a final destination. It's not an end result. It's not like, okay, once I do all of this and I get this, once I get an Oscar, I'm going to be happy. Or once I get this big movie, I'm going to be happy. Or once I gain, get all this money or this nice house or this nice car or, um, you know, this wife, I'm going to be happy. Being happy is, wow, I, I have clean water. I have food. I'm happy right now. I'm good. I... I'm happy. There's a lot of people who don't have, and it's just, it's just a thought that you put in your mind. It's not, it's not a final destination. Um, so yeah. That's awesome. So I did did want to say one thing though. I think the rejection piece is, is like rejection to me is just like a little bit different because like I had so many different life experiences where like, I, I shouldn't even, almost damn near death experiences where I'm like, I shouldn't even be alive. So anything that happened, like hepatitis A, that was going to take my life, right? Like just that story, like I was not supposed to live after I was 10 years old. So any day alive 
is a blessing to me. So anything that I do after the age of 10 would have been an accomplishment. That's awesome. So I want you to let the listeners know um, where they can find out. Actually, first, I want the listeners to know what is the impact you want to leave on the world? Like, so if you were going to die, what's the one thing that you want people to remember you by? And where can they find out more about you and see some of your work? Sure. So what I want to, to leave the world is make this world a better place in whatever form it is for you. So, you know, some people want to bring people closer together through technology, through Zoom, right? Just bringing people closer together, uh, an invention. Some people want to do it through art, through creating different, you know, music and tell their stories. I want to be able to inspire people to go after what they want in life, to be able to make this world a better place um, and to not be afraid to fail and, and, and keep going. Don't give up. I just want to be able to have my story um, of failure, constant failure, to be able to help people succeed. Uh, and to not feel shit about themselves or like even commit suicide, right? Like some people are like, you know, my life sucks. I don't have this. I don't have that. I'm going to end it. Um, so that, and then where people can find me is on my Instagram is M-A-H-M-O-U-M-1. That's Mahmoum1. Um, that's for my... Uh, you know, for, for the acting things that I do and, and the performances and all that. So Mahmoud one or on Facebook, Mahmoud Mahmoud. All right. Awesome. Uh, so Mo, really, I appreciate you taking the time and joining me on this one. Uh, I think your stories and, and your, your belief system and your dream, your journey on your dream is, is absolutely amazing. And I'm, I'm personally happy and part and glad to be a part of it. So I appreciate that. Um, anything else you want to say to my listeners, your listeners, the yeah, world? Man. Yeah. So thanks for having me on the show, man. It was a pleasure. I actually enjoyed this and, you know, got to, got to go deep with myself, uh, you know, through some of your questions. It was a good interview. Um, you know, and, uh, the thing, one thing I would leave for the listeners is, um, you know, always tune in and, and spread and share, uh, cause you're helping people, uh, get closer to their dreams and their journeys. Awesome, man. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to The Dreamer's Journey, and we'll see you next time. Mo, thanks once again, bro. Peace, bro. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining into A Dreamer's Journey podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please take the time to share it, comment, like, whatever it is. Just make sure we get the word out so we can keep inspiring other people just like yourself. If you have any questions or you want to know more about what is it that I do, you can visit my Instagram page, Moses underscore moves a lot, or just send me a message at VitaPros at VitaProject.com. Till next time.